Happy Friday! I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important, science for people who give a shit. The newsletter features the most important science news, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it. Hit subscribe right now so you get this audio newsletter every Friday, plus our conversations with the world's smartest people in the world on Mondays. You can find the digital version and links to everything at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or right from your show notes. And of course, you can support our work by becoming a member. All members may join our monthly AMAs with special guests, and annual members can also apply for our community, where our most dedicated readers and listeners, scientists and policymakers, investors and founders, artists and journalists, researchers, students, designers, and more, come together to solve problems on the front lines of the future. Join at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or the link in your show notes and help make sure our work continues. It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Here's this week summarized. The SEC climate risk reporting is getting closer to reality. What's the Paxlovid rebound? How to make strawberries last weeks longer? What the hell is monkeypox? MasterGuard wants to give you variable interest rate in exchange for your face. SEC climate reporting might finally be coming down the pipe, and just in time, as greenwashing maxes out, and literally no one can agree on what the hell ESG even means. SEC climate disclosures will most likely incorporate two major categories. One, a company's direct and indirect emissions from fossil fuels, and two, climate-related risks to the business, all of which should be independently verified. But nothing's final yet, and really that's not unexpected, because the forces rallied against measurably reporting, much less action, are vast. And that's because no one, and certainly none of us with an average Global North footprint, much less the wealthiest 1% of Americans or corporations, have ever paid the full price for our emissions. And no one wants to be the first. Hence greenwashing, hence toothless, far-off, net-zero pledges. Doing the work to measure those true costs and then actually pay them will probably reveal highly leveraged businesses, balance sheets, and economies tied nearly inextricably to rising climate impacts, if not feeding them altogether. It's not like everyone doesn't know renewable energy is cheaper almost everywhere. It's not like everyone doesn't know that inaction might cost us a cool $150 trillion, that's trillion with a T, nor do they know how much fires cost and floods. Even fossil fuel companies aren't plowing money into new long-term infrastructure, especially as Europe races to messily, but finally, cut off Russian fuel imports. They know the costs. They don't want to pay for them. So now ESG is woke and a distraction from the purpose of a company, which, despite promises to reevaluate that definition, is still to create value for investors. Now let's ignore for a moment the tremendous loss of value when these companies are exposed not just by calculators, but fire and rain, and answer me this. Knowing what we know, don't we have an obligation to our investors and shareholders, to the planet's ecosystems, to each other, and future generations, to stem the floods, to reduce our externalities, to increase the likelihood that future people and companies can continue to innovate and succeed and turn the tide? Forget for a moment the costs corporations generally try to avoid paying for roads, to subsidize rebuilding our aging grid, for healthcare, among others. Isn't planning for a safer, cleaner, and more robust future how we create value for investors? By controlling what we can control? By trying to guarantee survival? Shouldn't companies that make batteries or plastic have to pay into, and maybe even profit from, recycling them, if we can, or just fronting the cost to move away from them? entirely. 
Shouldn't they support rebuilding our grid so their data centers and offices don't black out in every summer to come? Shouldn't countries like the U.S. and China or the EU, entities that overwhelmingly contribute to warming, have to open their doors to refugees already suffering from that warming? Shouldn't people that buy huge, heavy automobiles that require more dirty resources to build and power, that take up more room and put more of a burden on public streets, shouldn't they pay for those costs? What else can you do? Are your colleagues back in the office? Can your company fully subsidize bikes and scooters to help clean the air? Can you lobby uh, your municipality and state for more transportation, for a more walkable city? Have you researched carbon accounting firms to start getting going on all of this? Have you reconciled the understanding that an unprecedented future is before us, because of us? That the old symptoms and old thinking and old assumptions, literally the ground under our feet, that got us here just don't apply starting yesterday. You can start your company or university or local government office on the path to transformation, however painful. You can lead instead of being led. Here's what else you can do. The TCFD is coming around abroad, and SEC pressure is building in the U.S., but we need more people in office who are willing to confront this uncertain new world. Join up with our friends at Vote Save America to make sure the 2022 midterm elections go the right way. In COVID news, here's your vaccine equity update. Just 16.2% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose, and 34.1% of people worldwide have received zero doses. Here's the news. Paxlovid, Pfizer's COVID antiviral, continues to work, but also to raise questions. In the U.S., where real cases are probably 10 to 30 times what's being reported, the, SC, the CDC believes Paxlovid reduces the risk of death and hospitalization, in whatever order, by almost 90% among unvaccinated people at high risk for severe disease. Great. The problem is, some small percentage of folks finish the five-day course of drugs only to test positive and possibly be contagious all over again. So now we've got new pressing questions. Are rebounds a natural trajectory of COVID? Or do they have anything to do with Paxlovid itself, which again was tested on unvaccinated people who hadn't been infected before their current infection? So what the CDC also hasn't said is, who's getting prescribed Paxlovid? I mean, we know raw totals. We publish those. But we don't know demographics. And odds are the distribution is as inequitable as everything else in this pandemic. The drug, which requires a prescription and healthcare access, isn't exactly a given in this country. Black, brown, and indigenous people are two to four times more likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID. Are we prioritizing prescriptions to them? What about the elderly? Or are new prescriptions, like vaccines before them, mostly going to those who can find them and afford them, those most likely to be low risk? And if we can think about the long term for a moment, seeing as we're doing so very little to get ahead of this virus and all of its new subvariants, how will the virus evolve to be Paxlovid resistant? The more days, the more hours the virus gets exposed to the drug, Jonathan Lee, director of the Harvard Brigham Virology Specialty Laboratory, told STAT, the more likely it is to develop resistance. Katrina Lithgow, evolutionary virologist at Oxford, said in the same interview, which you should read, it's layers and layers and layers of complication, she said. It's a really difficult problem, and it's really unclear to me what the best course of action is. Love that humility. Here's what you can do. Look, it's simple. If you test positive and you're high risk, you can find Paxlovid uh, at the link in your show notes, which I encourage you to share and to book. Otherwise, uh, wear masks out there. It's gnarly. 
In food and water news, one of my favorite early uh, podcast conversations was with, with uh, James Rogers, CEO of Appeal, uh, who invented a groundbreaking plant-based coating to extend the shelf life of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, why is it my favorite? Well, one, because it's fucking cool as hell, and two, because food waste is a choice we're making and an emissions nightmare. But we still need more innovation and far less waste up and down the supply chain. So enter strawberries, which might be my favorite food. From Fast Company, California-based startup called Saverpack, S-A-V-R Pack, is pioneering a new solution, a thermodynamic sticker that goes inside a package and captures condensation so strawberries or spinach can last longer. Our patches are colder than ambient, and therefore they attract moisture, said CEO Stafford. He compares it to what happens with a cold glass of water outside on a hot day, as water vapor in the air collects as condensation on the glass. A bonus, each patch uh, currently only costs a couple pennies, so low-income countries and growers who rush fruits and veggies hundreds of miles across borders and oceans to make it to your supermarket shelf before they can go bad, those people can benefit too. Frankly, grocers uh, should share the those costs, in my opinion. Um, but look, nothing's perfect. These patches still need to be thrown away at the end of their lifespan, uh, but that's next on the list. And the innovation could come from anywhere. And I'm looking at you. Here's what you can do. Uh, check out Refed, R-E-F-E-D, to find food waste policies across the U.S. that are working and build a plan for your town or your university. In health and bio news, look, let's set the record straight, okay? Uh, Monkeypox isn't covid SARS-CoV-2 is a member of the coronavirus family and causes a respiratory disease called COVID-19. Monkeypox is not that. We've been tracking monkeypox for over half a century, and I promise you, it's not that. Here's some more detail on what it is from Ed Young. The virus behind monkeypox is a close relative of the one that calls smallpox, but is less deadly and less transmissible, causing symptoms that include fever and a rash. Endemic to Western and Central Africa, it was first discovered in a laboratory monkeys in 1958, hence the name, but the wild animals that harbor the virus are probably rodents. The virus occasionally spills over into humans, and such infections have become more common in recent decades. Okay, so the table's set. What the hell is going on? Monkeypox rarely makes it to other continents, and when it does, it's contained, and quickly. Now there's over 600 cases across 26 countries, and thanks to our friends at Global.Health for the fancy new map you can check out uh, in your show notes. So lots of questions here. Usually with monkeypox, quote, human-to-human transmission occurs either through hugging, touching, or prolonged face-to-face -face contact, as well as by touching an infected person's clothing or bedsheets, end quote. In fact, quote, monkeypox does not scream airborne at me. COVID-19 did, said Lindsay Marr, an aerosol expert at Virginia Tech, uh, who told Ed Young the same thing in the same article. But two weeks later, Lindsay implied, maybe, but we don't know enough yet, which again is sincerely the humility I'm looking for considering fucking all of this. Why might she be unsure now? Well, taking a step back, cases have been on the rise across sub-Saharan Africa for a few decades now, and that's probably because we stopped distributing the vaccine after we stomped out smallpox. The rest of us are just now paying attention because that's what we do when viruses leave Africa and operate on a global scale. What's gotten weird is there seems to be transmission happening between folks with no history of travel to usually endemic regions or any glaring contact examples between humans and infective animals. So something else is going on, but we're not sure what. And regardless, our monkeypox testing capacity is minimal at best. 
Well, we do. The baseline good news, though, there is a new version of the vaccine developed in 2019, and there's a pretty decent stockpile. Uh, we just haven't broken it out yet in full. Here's what you can do. Watch a Lauren Sauer. She's the director of operations with the Johns Hopkins Office of Critical Event Preparedness and Responses. Uh, she's got a 10-minute update video you can watch to get further up to speed on what we're dealing with. Uh, lastly, in computer news, uh, more and more companies want your face or your finger or both and not in the sexy fun way. Um, here's how to think about it. From Retail Brew, MasterCard is piloting a program that allows shoppers to pay using facial recognition or fingerprint scanning. It's underway at five grocery stores in Brazil, and MasterCard plans to debut it globally later this year. Customers need to snap a selfie or scan their fingerprint to try the tech. A credit card linked to their biometric data is then created. Uh, here's a fun question. Why? This is a good many things that can be true once exercise. Sure, a convenient visa survey said 86% of shoppers are interested in using biometrics to make payments, and I use Apple Pay all the time. Yes, we're terrible at creating, using, and protecting passwords, but also, yes, increasingly handing over biometric data to private companies with historically abysmal bad track records with just about zero regulation surrounding the protection and use of that data, it's probably not the answer. Look, you and I just spent a couple months engaging with the ID.me IRS saga. We know how this goes. To be clear, I don't know what the consumer-facing answer is. I do know that just five states have data privacy laws, while federal policymakers are too terrified of losing their seats in November to legislate anything with teeth. So yeah, biometrics is probably it. And the gathering FIDO uh, coalition with Apple and Google elsewhere are probably a good move away from passwords. But without strict and encompassing laws to protect the use of your most private data, your face and your fingerprints, data that's already mined for massive profit and mined and sold in concert with my own every second of every day, I can't imagine how misuse will grow here. Here's what you can do. Whether you're in policy or on the corporate side or just a consumer with a computer in your hand, you should read the markup. They're a nonprofit newsroom that investigates how powerful institutions are using technology to change our society. I read them every single week, and you should too. Finally, here's 10 things from my notebook. One, wildfires aren't just trashing forests and soil and homes, but water too. Number two, states are considering making their own damn insulin as a public good. Number three, the Chevy Bolt just became the cheapest electric vehicle in America. Number four, transportation pollution isn't just about tailpipes, but also tires and brake pads, too. Number five, supercomputers have entered the exaflop era, or as we call it, Siri A. Number six, LA will ban most gas appliances in new homes. Number seven, Ford's dropping $3.7 billion and creating 6,000-plus union jobs for EV factories across the U.S. Number eight, doctors transplanted a goddamn ear made from a 3D printer. Number nine, millions of children learn very little. How can we improve education in the world's poorest countries? And number 10, Joe Biden's clean school bus program is open for applications. And I encourage you to send that link to your local school board. That's the news for this week. Hit subscribe now so you get next week's analysis straight to your feed. To go deeper on any of the news or to find your action steps, go to newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for being a part of our community. And thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend. 